Welcome to episode 84 of the Process Podcast. Trust yourself. episode 84 of the process podcast today i have the pleasure of joining me uh virginia state university 14th president dr makola abdullah welcome to the podcast dr abdullah oh thank you thank you for having me excited to be here man hey thank you so much for your time and for joining me could you tell the listeners where you're from i'm originally from chicago illinois i'm born and raised on the south side of chicago south shore south side chicago uh, what was it like growing up in Chicago for you? Man, you know, it was uh, it was it, it was nice. I, I really I felt like you know um, that it was a lot of community support. Um, we grew up in, in in South Shore, which is you know on, on the South Side. It's a nice it's a nice middle class neighborhood. Um, my mom was an entrepreneur, and she was kind of coming into her own around that time. And and we had some wonderful neighbors, and it just seemed like there was a lot of support in the community for for everyone. Man, we would. You know, we, we were outside, play all day, and then come in, come in the house when the street lights came on. You know, it was that kind of, it was that kind of life. You know, it's the kind of life that I, I wish that more young people now had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So, did you have any siblings? Uh, what was it like growing up in your household? Yeah, man. So, I'm, I am, I have two siblings. I have three siblings. Um, I have an older sister who she was older than uh, significantly about 10 years older than me. And so she didn't grow up in the house with us. And I have a brother on my father's side who's also older than me, didn't grow up with us. Um, but mainly it was me and my younger sister. My younger sister's nine months younger than I am. I wanna see somebody beat that trick, right? My brother and <laughs> father had a, had a nice trick. Um, and we grew up like twins. I mean, we were, you know, best friends and, you know, we played basketball together and we played you know, dolls together. You know, we were just the, the, the best of friends. Me and my sister were, were real tight. So, oh yeah, oh yeah. So, so growing up, did you did you look up to your sisters and sister in terms of uh, academic aspirations? Or what were your aspirations young coming out of, you know, high school and things like that? You know, in, in terms of my academic aspirations, honestly, I more looked to my mom. My mom was, was the first uh, in her generation of the family to go to college. Uh, she went to Howard University. That's a story you'll hear about later. And my um, 
Uh, and she was the first in our family to really go get a master's degree and then go get a PhD. And so she was, you know, kind of the driving force uh, in our extended family, you know, for going to get an education. She's the one who kind of changed the changed the focus of the family. Uh, and so I wanted to be I wanted to be like her. You know, she was she was Dr. Abdullah before uh, before I even thought about it. Um, and I just thought it was so cool uh, that she had a her doctor was in psychology. But I just thought it was super cool. So in terms of academics and aspirations, uh, you know, my mom put that on all of us, you know, mm -hmm. to aspire to, to high academic heights. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so what piqued your interest in engineering? Man, look, I'll I, I, I keep it real with you. Um, uh, somebody told me I can make a lot of money in science and engineering. You know, that was the that was the mantra, right? If you go on the STEM, you'll make some money. I was like, okay, well, I like money because I was going to STEM. Um, I mean, I was good in math and science, so that you know it made it easier to kind of walk into it. But um, that was the thing that really got me attracted to it, and how people attracted me to it. They said there's a lot of jobs, a lot of opportunities, and you can make a whole lot of money. I was like, okay, cool, I'm, I'm down with that. And uh, um, I think in in hindsight, honestly, if if I didn't have that push, I probably wouldn't have went into just math. I really like mathematics. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the idea of the allure of, uh, you know, cold cash money uh, made me think about engineering. So, and I'm glad I did. I'm really glad that I did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about, you know, growing up in Chicago, uh, why Howard? Man, look, so my mom went to Howard and my and my aunt went to Howard. So my mother, uh, Samela Abdullah, rest in peace, and my aunt, uh, Janice Muhammad, they both went to, uh, and Hortiz, I think three, three of um, my, my, my mother and two of her siblings went to Howard. Uh, and so when I came out of high school, uh, I had some scholarships to some nice institutions and, uh, you know, I won't name them, um, but they were pre uh, predominantly white institutions and I was going through my stuff and I told my mom that, um, you know, I was thinking about going to, you know, school X. And she said, no, nah, I think you should go to Howard. And I told her, mom, I don't think you understand. You know, I got a scholarship, so, I, you know, I can kind of pretty much make this decision on my own. And she said, no, son, I don't think you understand. Uh, if you don't go to Howard, I'm going to disown you, right? I'm not going to pay for underwear. I'm not going to pay for a plane ticket. You know, you won't be coming back home if you go to another school. And so that's what made me go visit, right? It still didn't honestly solidify the decision, but it made me go visit. But when I went to visit, man, it was spring break. And you know how HBCUs are. It was, I had never been around. I went to a, a boarding school. Um, I'd never been around that many young, vibrant black folks. Um, and particularly at the time, the young ladies. And I was just blown away. I mean, the, the, the tour guide was talking about buildings and I was looking at everything else. And after we had that visit, I said, I'm definitely going to Howard. So that was, a, I like to say that was the best decision I never made. My mom kind of pushed me into it, but it was the right one. <laughs> It was the right one. Yeah, it was the right one. So thinking about, like I said, you were growing up in Chicago, kind of Midwestern. What was that transition like from Chicago to the campus of Howard University? Man, look, I I found it to be incredibly easy. And this, I think this is one of the things that I try to tell people about HBCUs is, I think there's this idea that even among black folks is that black people are a monolith, right? Mm -hmm. And that all black people act a certain way or do a certain thing. And that, so therefore, like if you, if you go to the East Coast and you're from the Midwest, that it's gonna be vastly different. And what I found was the opposite, that there were so many people, one, there were so many people from Chicago, right? So it wasn't, Chicago club was huge, um, but also that, that black folks are so diverse that, you know, it, there were always somebody who had similar interests to me, whether that was basketball or skateboarding or engineering or comic books, you know, that there was somebody 
who had really similar interests who I could vibe with. And then at the same time, I could learn about things I didn't know. I wasn't a, I wasn't a hip hop head, you know, before I went to Howard. I, I knew house music, but I didn't know, I didn't know much about rap. And I, I learned about Eric B and Rakim, you know, and Drew Hall. And that was, you know, kind of exciting. So it was a, it was a really a wonderful experience for me, man. It was, it was everything. But it was, I didn't find the transition to be difficult. I found the transition to be really easy, really mm -hmm. easy. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about your, just your academic journey during undergrad, did you face any hurdles? Were there any obstacles that you had to overcome? Uh, yeah, you know, so I was, um, I mean, I think by, by by most measures, most people thought thought of me as an intelligent kid. I, I was able to catch on quick, pick up on some patterns, got some reasonably good grades. But I think the, my first semester, I got a, I got a three five, I got a three five my first semester, mm -hmm. and that scared me to death. I know it doesn't sound like it would scare people, but it scared me because I thought I was going to do really well in college. And for me, you get a three five your first semester, you only goes down after that, you know. So for me, I was like, oh, oh wait a minute. You know, I'm not starting off on the right foot. This may be a little more difficult than I thought. Um, and so I wanted to be near the top of the class. I wanted to be a great student. And I wasn't. I just didn't have the study skills. I didn't have the study habits. Uh, and so what I ended up doing is I started asking people. There was a class, chemistry, man. I, I, I think I got like a C in chemistry or a low B. And I needed to get an A the next semester. And I asked everybody, I said, who got an A in the class? And they said, this uh, young lady sitting in the front. Her name was Kim Jones. They said, she got an A. She only wanted to get an A. I said, all right. So I went to study with her. And literally, I would just sit down next to her and do whatever she did. You know, and I did that for, I think I did that for weeks before she spoke to me. Because a lot of people were trying to do that, you know. So I, I did it for weeks. And then we became really good friends. And I got I learned my study habits really from her. But that's been, you know, almost a theme. If, if somebody does something better than I, than I do it, and you got to learn, you know, you, you find out who's got that info and you, and you pick it up. And so she she gave that to me. Um, my grades picked up and, uh, and and it was successful. That was probably I think that and the fact that, you know, there, there was parts of me that were immature mm -hmm. uh, and having some advisors, mentors at Howard University that really, you know, kind of pull me to the side and say, look, you know, you're a, you know, you're a smart kid, but you don't have to do this. I need you to I need you I need you to dress better. I need you to talk better. I need you to treat people better you know i need you to think about those life skills and character skills i think that was that was critically important so yeah man yeah mm -hmm. man mm -hmm. transitioning into grad school you know what picked your interest when did you know you wanted to go to grad school and how was that transition you know back home geographically yeah yeah no no i um when i when i really started to get to know my professors at howard that's when i realized i wanted to be like them i wanted to grow up and be a professor like them and and they all told me, in order to do this, you got to go to you got to go to grad school and get a PhD. Um, and so that was the motivation. When when they told me to get to this spot, you need this degree. That was it. That's all I needed to know. Um, so I applied to a couple of schools. I applied to I applied to Berkeley. Well, I was going to apply to Berkeley. Um, uh, that didn't work out. Uh, I had, they was there was an earthquake on television while I was filling out the application for Berkeley, and I was studying earthquakes. And I was thinking, you know what? I don't want to be in an earthquake. So I turned, I stopped filling out that application and I filled out an application for Northwestern to work with a guy who used to be at Berkeley, who was at Northwestern. And um, uh, uh, Tak Igusa, uh, a, a great man who was my, uh, of Japanese descent. And uh, he was my advisor in grad school, man. That was, man, that was awesome. And and, and I'm glad that, I'm, I'm glad I had the chance to work with him. The two phases you just discussed, undergrad and now graduate school, what did you learn about yourself during those phases? Man, look, so 
well, first I was young. I graduated high school at 16 and I graduated college at 20. And so when I went to Northwestern, even though I was a graduate student, mentally I was I was everybody's age. I was an undergrad student's age. And so I hung out socially with undergraduate students and graduate students, but predominantly undergraduate students. So I got a chance to have an HBCU undergraduate experience and a PWI undergraduate experience. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it was, man, it was great. I think what it taught me was, is that it's, you know, black folks are black folks, no matter where you go. Uh, there are very particular challenges that, that black folks have at PWIs in terms of being sometimes the only one in the class uh, that makes you stick together even more. There's a bond that black students at PWIs have that I think that um, um, it's very different um, uh, than the bond that, uh, that black folks at HBCUs have. But I, I thought it was a wonderful experience. Um, and work-wise, it was a whole nother animal. I mean, I was going and working on a PhD as opposed to working on an undergraduate degree. You know, I had to really, really step my game up. But how it prepared me, man, I was ready. You know, I, I was ready. I was ready. So um, it, it was fun. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, uh, but it wasn't without its its, its, its challenges. Um, but I tried to overcome most of those by, you know, being around our people gives me energy. And so I hung out with undergrads. I played ball with the cats in the mail room. I tutored every secretary's kid if they needed help, you know. So I created this network, you know, to kind of provide support for myself while I was in grad school. You set out from Howard. You knew you wanted to go on a career trajectory to be a professor. You knew what you had to do to get it. Uh, I'm currently a PhD student right now, dissertating in my dissertation phase. So I want to ask you, you know, when did you feel confident in your skill set uh, upon graduation to become a professor? Man, look, I don't think I really had the confidence that, I don't think I really overcame the imposter syndrome until probably three, four years out of, out of um, grad school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had my, I had my doctorate. Um, so I finished my PhD at 24. Um, I think the, the, the story is my mama likes to say I'm, I'm the youngest African-American to get a PhD in engineering. Um, but at the same time, like many, you know, I thought, you know, I, I don't know if this is any good. You know, I, I didn't really apply for jobs right away. And so I didn't have a job coming right out. And I ended up working, you know, doing some odd jobs right after I got my PhD. And that made me feel even more like I wasn't ready. Uh, and then it wasn't until I kind of applied for some jobs. I ended up getting a job at FAMU in the um, FAMU FSU College of Engineering. Well, I'm sorry. I was actually in SESTA first, uh, teaching engineering technology. And it wasn't until I think I got my first grant, which was a year in, when I wrote my first grant to National Science Foundation and got, I think, two, $300,000 from NSF that made me go, wait a minute, maybe maybe this degree ain't half bad if I can, you know, if I can really eat on it like this. Um, but it, it, it took me a minute though. Uh, it really did take, uh, take me a minute to kind of get my confidence up and understand that I had been trained well, uh, that I knew how to uh, do research, that I could publish papers. Um, I don't think I had it when I graduated. I hit up my my cohort, so I had this cohort of individuals when I was at Purdue University uh, under Devon Esther, and so they I, I just asked them a question, you know, what questions do they want me to ask you? And one of them that I got was, um, how has your community as an undergrad, as an undergrad student, and now as a president, how has it impacted your ability to overcome challenges? Hmm. hmm. So you know, in terms of what. That, that's a good question. So I'll, Howard University, I think at, at our HBCUs, um, the ability to, to, to handle your business as a young person and to figure out, you know, how to get ready. Like when I was at Howard, the lines 
to sometimes get registered in law, the law. And you had to develop some rules and tricks to make sure that you knew what you were doing. One, you had to meet you had to you had to meet people and treat them well so that they knew you and they didn't treat you treat you poorly. You had to make sure that you didn't stand in the wrong line. Um, and so I always had a rule, right? You go to the front of the line, you ask what the line is for before you go stand in that line, or else you'd be standing in the wrong line. And it was those kinds of things, and mostly again, um, asking a lot of questions, treating people well, um, that let me know that I could overcome challenges when I was in school are the same things that I still apply now. Um, that again, if, if you ask a lot of questions and if you continue to treat people well, uh, the good things happen to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I think that was particularly important. I see the transition from, you know, student, undergrad, graduate student to mm -hmm. now professor and advisor. You know, how was that transition from grad student to now you're advising grad students? How was that transition for you? Man, it was, it was interesting. Um, I think it took me a while, like, like everything, it took me a while to really figure it out. I think with my first couple of graduate students, I felt like a graduate student with them, right? I felt like a, a mentoring graduate student where I was still doing a lot of the work, right? Mm -hmm. And they were working alongside me, we worked alongside each other. And I think that was probably the way I needed to teach them because I didn't know how to teach them at first. Uh, but after a while, I developed uh, better techniques in terms of really teaching how to do research and how to work for me in the lab. And, and I really did become more of a professor overseeing students who were doing the work on their own. Um, but, but that was tough. It, there's no, there wasn't a roadmap for it, so I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I always did it well. Uh, uh, but it was interesting. And I tell you what was really funny was when I finally, like one of the things that annoys graduate students the most, is when you go to your professor or advisor about, let's say, a dissertation or a master's thesis, and they correct it, right? They correct it, and then you come back later with those corrections, and they recorrect it again and put back the same stuff you had, right? I always thought that was crazy. And when the first time I did it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just like everybody else now, right? You know, so, um, you know, I, I, there was, I'm sure my graduate students, if they were telling stories about me, um, I was a challenge to deal with sometimes. Uh, but we were able to graduate. I got, I graduated six master's students, uh, four PhD students, uh, two of those PhD students uh, tenured at Research One institutions. Uh, and so, you know, we did, uh, we did good work in family. Oh yeah, awesome, awesome. So thinking about also, you know, as a as a graduate student, well, as an advisor of graduate students, what advice would you give those who kind of run into challenges uh, during the PhD program? What advice do you give them? Oh man, look, look, it is there is your champion is also really the single person that can slow you down, right? Your advisor is is everything. You don't graduate without your advisor. You can't move forward without your advisor. If you have a difficulty with your advisor, what you want to do is to sit out and talk it out. And, and when I say talk it out, um, I mean understanding that the advisor is the one that's correct. <laughs> like <laughs> like you, you're going to have to, you know, you're on a path. And sometimes when you're on the path, you think you know the right direction on that path. And the answer is, and I hate to say this honestly, but you don't. Uh, your advisor does. Your advisor is the one designing the path for you. You want to really listen, even if it doesn't seem like seem like it makes sense, and follow that path that they lay out for you. And if you can't, it's probably best to leave. Like if that relationship is 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 severed and, and bad, um, there's no real way that you can get to the end of the process without without an advisor who is your champion. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you can't you can't be a a, a, a part time advisor advising students only when they want to get advised it doesn't work like that. so um i think it, it's a it, it it's a relationship that always has its challenges mm 
Um, but I think for for a student, I think the challenge is to is to is to is to be really cool, to be really humble, and to really listen. And I think a challenge for an advisor is to do your re- level best to communicate as clearly as possible, even if that hurts feelings. It's to be really really clear about this is what I want, this is what I need in order for you to make it to the next stage. Because the clearer you are. Even if it even if it hurts feelings, the clearer you are, I think the better the students can respond to that clarity. From an advisor, did you always want to be a university president? Did you see yourself being a university president? And how was that, you know, career trajectory? What was that that process like? No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I think I wasn't naive. I started, you know, I got my PhD at 24. I was in the classroom at 27. I think I got tenure at 32. So I mean, I wasn't. I knew that it was certainly possible that um, you know that that I could aspire to things because I had the time to do it. I started my career quite early, um, but no, no, I was a um, you know jeans and sneakers and jerseys. I mean, I, I taught in basketball jerseys. That was my. I enjoyed the flexibility and the freedom of being a professor, waking up when you want to, and never wearing a suit. And, you know uh, that kind of stuff, and having my kids in my office, you know, and having my kids in class. I mean, it was it was great. Uh, it actually kind of stumbled on me. I was um, we had some challenges when I was at uh, Florida A and M, and and um, we had to do some work for NSF to kind of keep some of our grants alive. Um, they had some challenges with, it. and I was put on this committee. I was one of the few faculty members on the committee. I had a bunch of NSF grants, and I really wanted the university to succeed through this process. And I invested a lot of time and energy along with my colleagues to make sure that that we had a good relationship with the National Science Foundation. And when that process was over, uh, the consultant who was working on that with us, who was going to be the VP for research, asked me if I wanted to be the associate VP for research, Keith Jackson. And without him asking me, I don't think I ever would have went into administration. And, you know, he said, uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. He said, we're going to pay you this amount. And I was like, really? You know, so, you know. Um, so money got my attention and I took the job and, and, and I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed administration much more than I ever thought I would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what was it like to be named the 14th president of Gene State University? Man, look, so I, I'll tell you now, it it's like a great and beautiful thing. I feel honored that that um, I get to be a part of the legacy of VSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get an opportunity to, to help help grow VSU, help move VSU forward and to work with such incredible people. Um, but I'll go back in time and say when I when it happened, when I was named 14th president, it seemed quite overwhelming. It was, you know, it's 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 probably similar to and I don't know if how old you are if you got kids, but it's it's kinda like when you when you go to the hospital and, and, and you and your wife wait, your wife has the baby. I was gonna say you and your wife. I didn't I didn't do a whole lot of work during that process. She did all the work. Yeah. Um, but then after a couple of days they give you the baby and tell you take the baby home. And you're like, well wait a minute. Y'all want to give me some instructions or something? You know, they just take it home. And so that was kind of like this. Uh, it was, it, Virginia State is such an incredible place with an incredible history. And even though I felt that I was ready, and in hindsight I was, it was still quite overwhelming to think, okay, somebody just gave you the keys to the car and said, here it is, you know, it's yours. And mm-hmm. and, and, and we expect you to, to provide vision and provide leadership for the institution. And it was, it was really something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What has it been like the past year leading an institution like Virginia State during multiple pandemics when you're talking about racism and also uh, COVID? You know, I tell you, it's been something else. And I think that for all leaders, not just higher ed leaders, 
uh, but government leaders and co uh, corporation leaders, I think they'll all agree with me that this has probably been the biggest leadership challenge of any of our careers. Uh, and it's forced all of, well, particularly me, I'll, I'll speak for me, it's forced me to begin to really think about what's important and why it's important and to really narrow my decision-making down to really just do what's, you know, what's right. Um, there were no, last year around this time when we were sitting around making decisions about what we were gonna do, you know, it was, are we gonna have young people back in the dorms and have a, a and, and, and worry about if they'll catch COVID and what may happen um, or whether we'll not have them in the dorms and not have, you know, uh, the amount of revenue that we typically bring in that helps keep people employed, right? Well, those two decisions, there's no there's no good decision on that. There's no, you know, I mean, just, you, you're gonna have to make one and you're gonna have to stand stand by it and you're gonna have to be okay. And and so it really, you know, taught me how to be strong in, in decision-making, be, being transparent and talking to the university community and really getting good advice using shared governance uh, to help that process out. Uh, but I mean, canceling homecoming, canceling football season, yeah. you know, all of these are things that as university president, you don't even know you can do it. Like before COVID, I didn't know I could cancel football season. Like who can cancel football season? Nobody can do that. I didn't know I could cancel homecoming. Who can cancel HBCU homecoming? Has the president ever canceled? No, no one's ever done that. And so all of a sudden, all of these things are on the list that are like huge decisions that seemed impossible. And it was just, you know, do the very best you can, trust the advisors that you have and be prepared to live with the decisions that you make. So it was, it was really tough. And, but to get here on the other side, well, I don't think we're on the other side of it, but at least in the middle of it. Uh, and with the support that we've gotten from the state and federal government, with the support that we've gotten from private donors and, and the support that we got from faculty, staff and students, uh, it's, it's, it's great to be here and see how we've lived out. As you notice on the podcast, a lot of reflecting. I want to ask you, you know, what have you learned about yourself as a university president during this phase of your life? Man, I've, I have, I have learned that um, I have learned that we can walk through the middle of the storm and that we can be okay. You know, I, I didn't know that last year around. I mean, it was. I think all of us would, would be. We, we wouldn't be telling you the truth if we told you that we thought that uh, higher education would largely survive in the same way that it has. Mm -hmm. uh, there was there was a lot of questions about about what would happen, and so I know that I'm I'm strong enough, and Virginia State is strong enough to survive. I know that I can make um, the big decisions with the help of, of the university community um, if we need to, and I know that I'm ready and willing. At some point last year, I had to make a decision that because all of these decisions were so hard that I could no longer think about my own job security and making those decisions. I had to decide that I was prepared to make the decisions that were right and live with those consequences no matter what they were. And now I know that I can do that too. Yeah. Um, and that's a that's a good thing to be able to have. So yeah. This uh, podcast is called the Process Podcast. What the looking back over your life, what does trust the process mean to you? What does trust the process mean? I, I, it means to me two things. Uh, one. Part of it is trust yourself. I mean, you really have to, um, uh, I think in order to, to be able to move forward and to accomplish some of the things you want to accomplish in life, that you have to believe that you have the ability to do that. Um, uh, you, have to, you have to trust and believe that the gifts that you've been given, that you've got enough of those gifts to be able to make a difference in the world. Um, or at least you have the, the, the makings of those gifts, right? That you have the potential of those, of those gifts inside. 
And then I think the rest of it, in terms of the trust the process, I'm going to go back to what I was talking about when I was mentioning when I didn't know how to study, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you can seek out mentors, friends, advisors, coaches that have more of the things that you want to have and you can get them from them. But you have to be open enough to want them. One, you have to, you have to know what you don't have and reach out to those who have, right? And then you've got to be committed to really studying and practicing that work. You can't get good at a, at a jump shot in one day. You got to be in the gym and shoot a thousand jumps. Um, you know, when I went to study with uh, Kim Jones, is was her name. Um, she's still a good friend of mine today. Um, she had a lot of people come study with her for a day. Um, you know, but how many people came to study with her for, for weeks? Or when we were going through COVID. Um, you know, I from the Virginia University presidents in Virginia, from the CIAA presidents. I learned so much from my colleagues being in rooms and asking questions and them giving me information and giving me advice on how to move forward because we're all going through the same challenges. Um, so I think one, you got to believe in yourself enough to know that you can do it, right? You can do anything. And then second, you got to believe in the ability of those around you to help pour into you to make you better. So you got you to do all of that to be able to trust the process. Oh yeah, oh yeah. What Also reflecting, what advice would you give your younger self? Man, look, I, I love this question because I got an answer for you, brother. I would tell <laughs> my to not worry. Stop worrying about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look back at the things when I was in college, you know, were my grades going to be okay? Um, uh, was was a certain girl going to like me? Um, um, was I going to have the right ride home from college? Right, I mean, the, the kind of things, what, what we're going to eat for dinner? Um, in hindsight, none of those things are things that we're going to be, you know, as long if you work hard and treat people well, everything else will kind of fall into place. Mm-hmm. And so I try to remember that as I look, you know, even when my son, my son was born, like I told you, when we came home from the hospital and I was nervous and scared. Um, but they don't give you babies unless you, you know, you, you, you love them the best you can and you be patient with them and you're not going to be perfect, but you be the best father you can be. My son's 23 now, right? I'm not, I'm not worried about bringing him home from the hospital anymore. Uh, <laughs> and so I think that's, that's what I would tell my younger self. And to be honest, that's what I tell myself now is that the things that seem like the biggest things of the day aren't always the most important in five or 10 years. And so just do the very best you can. Um, take the positives and the negatives, the bumps and the grinds, and, and it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. I have two more questions for you. Um, for, yes, those, for those listening, uh, high school age, college, and thinking about graduate school, you know, why Virginia State and why now? Man, look, so so first, let me let me back it up some and, and say, if you're considering going to college, I'm a big fan of college, so go, you know, and, and I, I'll start there and just say, I think it's a wonderful experience, and no matter where you're considering, because college is a very personal choice, uh, that I support you. I want you to have that experience. Second, if you're going to do it and you're young and you're, and you're black, well, if you're not so young and you're black, I think you have to consider an HBCU. You got to put an HBCU on your list. I'm not saying you have to go to an HBCU, but you gotta put one on your list um, to be able to rule out if you don't want to go. Because I think HBCU experiences are so incredible that everyone should have a chance to see it before they turn it down. Um, and so whether that's uh, Florida A&M or, or Howard University uh, or Fort Valley State University, right? I think you should have a, all seniors should have one on their list and come visit and take a look and then make a decision. Uh, and why Virginia State? And Virginia State is it's the people. Um, you know, that, the short answer is we got some of the best people in the world. Um, the longer answer is, is wherever you're trying to get to, wherever you're trying to go, you can get there from Virginia State. 
Um, if you want to be a, a, a general in, in the army, um, you know, we've graduated more top military officers, including the latest, one of the last retired four-star generals, General Dennis Vaughn, graduated from Virginia State. You know, you want to make a, a lot of money, the first black billionaire, Reginald F. Lewis, graduated from Virginia State uh, University. We've got folks in um, Robbie Morgan, I'll let you look it up, but he's an actor who you know, you might not know his name, but when you see him, you're going to go, oh yeah, I know him. And he went to Virginia State University. And so wherever it is that you're trying to go, you can get there from here. The question just is, where do you want to go, right? Because if you know that and you tell us that, then we can help you get there. Oh, and yeah. and for the record, right? I'm I don't just talk it because I'm I'm selling it, right? My daughter graduated from Virginia State, and she's working on her master's at BSU. So I don't believe it for other people's kids. I believe it for my kids. I believe in Virginia State University. I can't complete this episode without giving a shout out to my uh, friend from Purdue University, who is an alum of. Virginia State University, uh, Dr. Brandon Allen. So shout out to him. Um, also shout out to my advisor, Dr. LeVon Esters and Brittany Brown for some of the questions that they provided. Uh, but I want to thank you so much, Dr. Abdullah, for joining me on the podcast and to share your story with story with our listeners. Uh, do you have any lasting words that you want to leave with our listeners? Well, well first, I, I got to shout out uh, Brandon and uh, Allen and LeVon Esters too. Uh, two good good men. I think sometimes we get to discussing basketball, sometimes on Facebook. Uh, LeBron James is, in fact, the best to ever do it. So I'm just going <laughs> to leave that. Since they're not here, they can't say anything about it. Um, but no, I just, uh, for your listeners, um, it was a pleasure to hang out with you and to hang out with your listeners. And I hope that uh, uh, people get something out of it. So thank you. This episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth. Overcome. Trust the process. Trust the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.